you will, make your way to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. And we'll begin in verse 36 here in just a few moments and go through the end of the chapter. And I want to speak to you on this subject. Forgiven. Forgiven. It's our greatest need to be forgiven. It's the words of grace that remind us that we can be forgiven. And that's what we're going to learn today from this story in the Gospel of Luke. You've probably heard the name Christopher Hitchens. His name is synonymous with atheism and secular liberalism. He wrote the book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And he decided that he wanted nothing to do with the Christian faith from a very early age, even as a child. You may not have heard the name Peter Hitchens. He wrote the book, The Rage Against God, How Atheism Led Me to Faith. As a youth, he too rejected the Christian faith and for years embraced a secular creed and even promoted international socialism. You see, Peter Hitchens is the younger brother of Christopher Hitchens. But he came to faith in the Lord and his life was transformed. These two men are a study in contrast. Their grandfather was a devout Baptist. Their grandmother was an Anglican. And Peter Hitchens said this. He said, the most dangerous idea, and he's saying that in a positive sense, in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos and shows us that there is justice and there is hope. We have a story before us today of contrast, of two people who could not have been more different, and Jesus is in the middle of it. There are three main characters in the story. A Pharisee, a sinful woman, and the Lord. The Pharisee's name was Simon. Outwardly, as a good Pharisee, he would have been a man who was upright. He was outwardly religious. He tried to keep the law of Moses. He tithed off of his income. He fasted and he prayed and he went to the synagogue. He was a respected leader in the community. His relationship to Jesus was formal, as best we can tell from this passage. He invited Jesus to come into his home. He didn't want his friends to think, however, when Jesus came, that he had gone overboard. So his response to Jesus, and even as he welcomed Jesus, it was a muted welcome, as we'll see here from the text. Then there's a sinful woman. This sinful woman is left unnamed by Luke, perhaps on purpose by the Holy Spirit to show us that in her we can find ourselves. She was a woman who might have been a prostitute, the Bible doesn't tell us, but she was known for her sinful way of life. She was the kind of woman that when she came into the room, the whispers would begin and people would begin to talk about her, and yet she wanted to do something for Jesus. She wanted to openly express 
her gratitude for and her love for Jesus, and she was even willing to be humiliated to do so. And when she learned Jesus was near, she did whatever she could to get to where he was. And then the Lord is here in the middle of this story. And as we think about the presence of the Lord, it really is something that is building on the theme in Luke of who is this man? What is the identity of this man who is in the middle of these people? He's already demonstrated that he has power to raise the dead. He has power to heal the sick. He has power to forgive sins. And remember, ultimately, the only one who has the power and the authority to forgive sin is the one against whom sin has been committed. And Jesus has demonstrated that in his ministry. And now we pick up reading in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, and this is what the Bible says. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them, them with the fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, Jesus did, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The first truth I want to show you in this passage is that because of our sin, we have a massive debt. Because of our sin, we have a massive debt. 
Jesus went to Simon's house for dinner. We don't know exactly why Simon invited Jesus to dinner. Maybe it was because Jesus had been at the synagogue and it was customary to do so. Maybe he was a man who was sincere. He was searching. He was looking. He was thinking. He was observing Jesus and wondering who he really was and what he was capable of doing. We're not told for sure. But there was a woman who came in who was a sinner. And the indication is that she was a notorious sinner. Like the kind of person that everybody would have known who she was and what she had done. So it was pretty bold even in her coming to the house of a Pharisee. It took courage and it took determination. And with her she brought an alabaster flask of oil. Fragrant oil. An alabaster flask would have had uh, no handles. It would have had a long neck, which was broken when the contents were needed. We can fairly deduce that the contents of this alabaster flask were, in fact, costly. Jewish ladies would commonly wear a perfume flask suspended from a cord around their neck, and it was so much a part of them that they were even permitted to wear it on the Sabbath in those days. And we find the woman at the feet of Jesus with the perfume. She's about to anoint his feet, and her tears begin to fall. She has no towel with her, so her hair will have to do, which also would have been socially unacceptable. The people would have been gathered there, reclining around the table, maybe leaning on one elbow with their feet stretched out. Normally, the oil would have been used for a person's head. But in her humility, what she was saying to Jesus is that what she had to give was only good enough for his feet. So here she was at his feet. She begins to wash his feet with her tears. She kisses his feet. And in that moment, it feels uncomfortable. It it feels like an uncertain situation. But what it was, was a beautiful and fully proper outpouring of the love that she had for Jesus because she understood who he was. Simon objected to what she was doing, and he began to speak to himself. In fact, verse 39, he said, this man, if he were a prophet, so he's he's questioning the identity of Jesus. He's questioning the fact of whether or not he truly knew what was going on. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman it was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. He was foolish enough to think that Jesus did not know what was in her heart. His words were filled with judgmentalism, and Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the woman's heart. And Jesus answers the objection of the Pharisee, and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon says, teacher, say it. And then Jesus shares a parable of sorts, to make a spiritual application about sin and forgiveness. He says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One of the debtors owed him 500 denarii. 
the other debtor only owed him 50 denarii. So essentially, he only owed him a tenth of what the other one did. But the point cannot be missed. Both of them were in debt. And the debtors are metaphorical for sinners. The greater debtor referred to the sinful woman, the lesser debtor to the Pharisee. But in God's eyes, the sinful woman was not necessarily a greater debtor because in the eyes of people, she was seen as less. But in the eyes of God, through his forgiveness, she could be forgiven of everything that she had ever done, no matter how bad it was or what her track record was. In his heart, the Pharisee was guilty of pride and self-righteousness. He was guilty of not understanding his ultimate need for God. So what Jesus does, don't miss this, is that he draws the point in. And in a way that the Pharisee had nowhere to turn, Simon would have been thinking, Jesus is right, this woman is ten times worse than I am. She's a far greater sinner than I am. But in agreeing with her sin, he was also recognizing his own sin. And isn't it interesting how people try to measure up to God in so many different ways? They try to make sure that their account is good with God. So they'll do good things for God. They'll give toward the church. They'll give toward people's needs. They will help out a neighbor in a time of need. And somewhere along the way, they're thinking, God is going to see this and he's going to be pleased with me. And somehow this is going to be credited to my account. But the person who thinks that fails to understand the greatness of the holiness of God and the depths of their own sin. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. And the truth of the scripture is that all people, the best of us and the worst of us in the world's eyes, are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And the dead cannot help themselves. And even we as the people of God need to be reminded of the greatness of our sin. You remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said this, of whom I am the worst, the chief of all sinners. How could that be? Paul, the Apostle, the greatest missionary that the church has ever known? How could it be that he was the chief of all sinners? This was no pious self-effacement by Paul. The more that he walked with Christ, the more that he became sensitive to his own sin. And when we look at within ourselves, we recognize that because of our sin, we have a massive debt. But then secondly, there is no way that we can repay our massive debt. There's no way we can do it on our own. Now, notice the comparison here in the scripture. Both of the debtors in the story that Jesus told were unable to repay. 
they were in over their heads. They were spiritually bankrupt. Think about it this way. Which person is more in trouble? The person who finds themselves drowning in 30 feet of fresh water with no rescue at hand? Or the person that finds themselves drowning in 1,000 feet of water out in the middle of the ocean? Whether the person is drowning in 30 feet of fresh water with no rescue at hand, or they're drowning in 1,000 feet of water out in the middle of the ocean, they're still drowning. And that's the message that Jesus is getting across here. That our sin makes us think that we're better off than other people, but if we have no way to repay, we're bankrupt just the same. And when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, all of us are in a massive debt and we have no way to repay. I think about the life of St. Augustine from history. A man who lived a lust-filled life from an early age. And even though he was seeking after some answers in his life, and even though he was seeking after truth, he could find none anywhere until the conviction of God came upon him. And he was led to read the Scripture. And when he was led to read the Scripture, the passage of Scripture that he was drawn to was a passage of Scripture that highlighted his own sin. And as a result of that, he came to faith in the Lord and he became one of the most well-known theologians that the church has ever known. And even today, we tell the story of his conversion because he recognized that there was no way he could repay the massive debt on his own. And I find it interesting that some people whom we would not touch or identify with or get near, perhaps, if they met Christ they would put us absolutely to shame with their fervent love. Why is that? Because they recognize what God has done. And Jesus uses a very simple illustration here to show us that the more we are forgiven, the more we will love. And that leads me to the third truth. The only way we can be released from our massive debt is by the grace of God. Verse 42, Jesus continues in the comparison of the debtors. Here's what he said, And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Put yourself in the middle of that story, whether you see yourself as a person who is in debt, 50 denarii, or you see yourself as a person who is in debt, 500 denarii, put yourself in that story and look at it as though God is speaking to you and you have nothing to repay with. You have no way to wipe out the debt. You have no way to be forgiven but God. And Jesus asked the question, tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman. Let us not miss the gravity of the moment when he turned to the woman. Simon, do you see this woman? 
Simon had purposefully neglected the common courtesies when Jesus came in. There had been no kiss of peace greeting on the cheek. The sandals had not been removed and the feet washed by the host. There had been no anointing with the touch of olive oil. And Jesus says to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kisses or greeting, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You see, when Jesus touches some people's lives, they seem to do a minimum in return. They seem to have no water for his feet or no oil for his head. The kisses are grudging if they are at all. And there's no impulse from the heart except a perfunctory religious exercise. You see, what all of us need is to see the depths of our sin. But when we see the depths of our sin, turn to a loving and a forgiving God. We need to know who we really are. We need to understand what God has done for us in Christ. And as I thought about this passage, even this week, I was captured by verse 47, and I read it again and again because verse 47 uh, contains words that ring forth with the grace of God. And here's what Jesus said. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I want you to put yourself in her position just for a moment. As though God himself is saying to you, as though you were the only person to say it to, your sins, they are many. Her sins, they are many. His sins, they are many. But they're forgiven. To the glory of God, they are forgiven. And Jesus turned to her in verse 48 and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You understand, those are the greatest words that a human being could ever hear. That the creator God of all the universe, the one who is holy, the one who is seated, high lifted up on his throne, the one with whom there is no darkness at all, the one who has given us physical life and called us into being. He reaches out to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we repent and believe, he says, your sins are forgiven. And that was costly. It was going to cost Jesus his life. But it was full and free forgiveness that would come through the cross and the resurrection. And you know, it's hard for some people to understand that there's only one way to be forgiven. There's only one way to escape sin and judgment. That there's only one way to have a relationship with God. But we understand the 
application of what the Scripture is teaching here. And I like the way one Christian apologist uh, used analogies to, to try to help us think about this. He said, most ailments need particular antidotes. He said, increasing the air pressure in your tires will not fix a troubled engine. Aspirin will not dissolve a tumor. Cutting up your credit cards will not wipe out the debt that is already owed. If your water pipes are leaking, you're not going to call an electrician. And then he says this, any adequate solution must solve the problem that needs to be solved, and singular problems require singular solutions. And you see, as human beings, we have a singular problem. Our problem is that we are broken and the world is broken because our relationship with God is broken. All of the problems that we see, all of the division that we see, all of the unrest that we see, all the violence that we see, all of it has one root reason. And that one root reason is that people have rebelled against the holy God. And the only solution to that one root reason is what Jesus Christ has done in giving himself on our behalf so that our debt could be paid. All of us everywhere, all at once, are in the same condition. The debt has to be paid. And the only one who was qualified was the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. You say, well, how did this woman come to Jesus? Jesus tells us. He said, your sins are forgiven. And he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a glorious message. This, this is the message of the church. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of hope. It's the message of forgiveness that reconciles us to God. It's the message of forgiveness that promises us a home in heaven. It's the message of forgiveness that assures us of our purpose on this earth. And this has to be the primary focus of the church. There's all sorts of things that we could be involved with. There are all kinds of activities that we could get wrapped up in, many of which are good. But if those things are not focused on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus Christ is not high lifted up in it all, then we've missed the point. We've missed it. And we should show our deep love for Jesus because we've been forgiven much. What a scene Luke gives us. The woman is still kneeling before Jesus. Her hair is hanging unattractively. The tears are still flowing. She loves the Lord. And she's filled with grace. You know, sometimes I think we're so dignified in our faith that we're afraid to have our hair disheveled, proverbially speaking. We're afraid to get too serious about Jesus. We don't want other people to think there's something wrong with us. We don't want them to think that, that we're fanatics. We, we don't want to step all the way in and truly surrender our lives to him. We don't want Jesus to be our all in all. We just want Jesus to be our insurance for eternity. 
And you understand that when Jesus Christ calls you to salvation, he is not only calling you to salvation, he is calling you to his lordship. It's all wrapped up together. He is Savior and he is Lord. So I ask you today, do you know Jesus? And if you know him, does your life express a deep love for him? It's the call of the Christian. May we be like the woman who was fully and freely forgiven and not like the one who didn't understand his need. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. God, these sweet words of forgiveness are a reminder to us of what it's all about and of the hope that we have in Christ. May we come in humility and repentance and faith and receive what you have for us and then live as people who have been changed by grace. God, I don't know the hearts of everyone who is here or perhaps is watching online, but you do. And I pray if there be any under the sound of my voice that would recognize their need to be forgiven and understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, that today there would be some who would repent and believe and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. We pray it all would be for your glory. Help us to live in such a way that our lives display grace to the people around us with the message of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.